Can you feel the love tonight? Can you also smell the love tonight? And maybe taste it? Today, the photorealistic Lion King remake of 2019. Stay tuned. Good day and welcome to Writers Get Animated, a podcast about animation, storytelling, and lying around. I'm Chris Leva. And I am disappointed in Chris Leva's skills. <laughs> Mackenzie Worrell. <laughs> I'm so sorry. And we also have with us our guest, Rebecca Myers, recovering journalist and writer. Welcome, Rebecca. Hello, I would growl if it uh, sounded anything better than Little Simba. I don't know. <laughs> now we're going to practice roaring. <laughs> Thank you again for joining us. Uh, it's so nice to have you back on the podcast. Thank you. I was hoping that Chris would um, introduce me as a recovering journalist. Um, so I'm glad to hear fellow writers and um, and their views of this uh, new world that we're in. <laughs> no, no, that. no. That's Aladdin. <laughs> Aladdin has the new world. <laughs> <laughs> this is Lion King, where we have, what do we have? No worries. There are no worries here at all. Hmm. Now we know. Right? Now, now we know, I suppose. Some worries. So, <laughs> Hakuna Samtadas. Eh, Samtadas, I suppose. <laughs> That's probably something different if you look that up online. Um <laughs> Welcome back to Writers Get Animated. <laughs> and today we're talking through, as Mackenzie said, The Lion King, open parentheses, 2019, close parentheses. And it's, it's, I guess part of the conversation we're going to be having is, do we call it live action remake? Do we call it photorealistic? What is it? And, but that's for, that's for a little bit later. Well, I feel like we can hashtag no spoilers a little bit, but this is an animation podcast. <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> you can take your guess what we're going to decide what this movie is, but keep in mind, animation podcast. But this movie I, does I, fall I, into the, I'm going to say quotes here, grand tradition of the Disney live action or photorealistic version of a movie they've already done. Which I think some people tend to think that it only just started, but this this has been going on since 1994, since the original Lion King was released. Essentially, Disney's been toying around with remaking things in live action. So yeah, I didn't realize that until I saw your list with the Dalmatians and Cruella Deville, and I saw Alice in Wonderland, and like back when 3D was first. Um, reintroduced in like the early, like, you know, 2010 with Alice in Wonderland. So. Yeah. And it was, it was interesting that we get, there've been two live action remakes of the jungle book since this whole thing started. And I think both of them started their eras. So mm. we have the real animal period, which is, Starts with Jungle Book in 1994, where there are no songs, there are real animals, and since they're real animals, they don't talk. Um, and I remember it not being fun. 
It was not fun. And in the later Jungle Book, you get uh, photorealistic animals and Christopher Walken uh, so they don't sing. There's there there are songs, but there is not singing. You're right. It's interesting. I want to be like um, you. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> then we have, um, after Jungle Book comes 101 Dalmatians with Glenn Close, 102 Dalmatians with Glenn Close, Alice in Wonderland, um, Maleficent. Which, interjecting, is, I feel like Maleficent is where this current trend really kicked off. Yes, I agree. Okay. Continue. Um, <laughs> then we get Cinderella in 2015. We get the new Jungle Book in 2016. Sequel to Alice, Alice Through the Looking Glass. I'm not sure who saw that in 2016. And then we get another shift, which is Disney Renaissance films starting to be introduced and remade. So we get Beauty and the Beast in 2017. And it ramps up. You get Christopher Robin in 20. 18 and then this year which is not over yet we get dumbo in 2019 we get aladdin in 2019 we get lion king in 2019 and later on this year we get the sequel to maleficent in october and we get lady and the tramp live action in november on disney plus so were they going broke and they needed five shows all at once? I'm, I'm not really sure why 2019 is the, the star here. I, I really don't know. I don't know if it has to do with delays. But the thing to note, Mulan is only coming out next year because it got delayed from this year. <laughs> so it almost was, let's redo the entire Disney Renaissance in live action in the one single year. Almost. It gets close. So all, all we need is, you know, some Tarzan and some Hunchback of Notre Dame, which is currently in development. I mean, it kind of felt like they were following, like, at least the Broadway versions of stuff they've done for a while. Because Little Mermaid is also coming. Um, it I is. would not be surprised if we saw a Tarzan remake at this point. Because there's a Tarzan musical, right? Yes, there was. Okay. A version of it just played in Westerville, Ohio. Oh. Uh, and also um, in Worthington, Ohio. Last year in Westerville, this year in Worthington. Well, what a whirlwind, globetrotting production. <laughs> <laughs> Who? Uh, so those are... It's been a long time that Disney's been doing this, but it really does feel like we're hitting a major period of live action remakes. Um, can we talk a little bit about why arguments for, do we want to play debate team here about why Lion King could be called a live action film? Or do we just want to, I mean, we can debate. I see that the playing devil's advocate here, um, there is, because it looks more real, people are calling it live action, although notably Disney has never called it live action. I want to clarify that. True. Just people have called it live action, not Disney. Um, and I think there's also a little bit of a, 
stigma towards animation overall. Disney wants adult audiences coming to see this also, not just kids or parents bringing kids to it. It wants everyone to come see. It wants single millennials to go see The Lion King again. What a fun Friday night by yourself. (laughs) That sounded sarcastic, but I don't think it was. (laughs) I went on a Friday night, but I did go. With okay, so not by yourself. <laughs> However, as a millennial or whatever you want to call me, um, I think it's it is important to get that to get that uh, group of people. Otherwise, um, you're you're really missing out. But I think mostly for millennials or younger than millennials, we're we're here to be. Hey, we're going to go for the nostalgia tour. So um, they're just going to double dip. Yeah. And I. Another favorite of our podcast that always amazes me in many ways, um, the new reboot of DuckTales on the Disney Channel, which is amazing. It's everything you want. It's a great show. If you haven't watched it, go check it out, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the number of times I meet people, and this is a real true story, unprompted, hanging out with somebody, moment of silence, and just out of the blue, this person says, you know what they should remake? DuckTales. And I had to convince him that this was a real thing that already happened and was one season in. And he thought that I was just making it up to mess with him. So for some reason, things, people our age, not Chris's age, our age love. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you for calling that out. I appreciate You're that. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> that they miss from childhood, like DuckTales and The Lion King, they know of Lion King, but don't know of DuckTales. So the only thing to me that is different there is how DuckTales is still traditionally animated. And for some reason, they don't know about it. Um, so I think that's that's a big part that Disney's going after. They know that if they do a dark, gritty Lion King reboot, <laughs> that people are going to go see it. Are you saying that if they had made a DuckTales the movie with photorealistic with, like, ducks. digital feathers that the millennials would have flocked to see wow. it. Wow. You are on a roll this episode. <laughs> I meant that I didn't mean the pun at first and then I went for it. But but do you think that that, that would ha- that would be a thing? Yes, 100%. I didn't say it would be good or that people would like it, but people would have gone to go see it. People did go to see Scooby-Doo as the live action. And even as sixth graders, we knew it was stupid and it was dumb. (laughs) Sorry, in 2002, 2003. And it was really bad then for us as probably the primary audience as preteens. And it was terrible. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it was successful enough to get a sequel. Kind of like Scrappy-Doo. Nobody likes (laughs) Scrappy-Doo. I like Scrappy-Doo. It was the the movie equivalent of pulling a scrappy, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, so I... Where some, somehow it feels bigger, but it's actually a lot smaller and worse than the... Oof. Dang. Original. You're really dragging this metaphor out. I'm trying. I appreciate it. <laughs> so for me, I do think that this more stigmatized adult air quotes um visual style is something that is intentional and is meant to get a wider audience both 
people who are nostalgic and want to see it again in a different way. Um, parents will bring kids to it. Kids who've never heard of it before. Um, and there's probably another audience type in there somewhere. <laughs> I think if you know your Disney history too, though, um, and for those listeners of our podcast should by now, uh, since we went through the entire Disney canon, but just in case, if you look at the downfall of the Disney Renaissance, um, you would see possibly a pattern starting to emerge, mm. interestingly. One of the things that made Disney great from the very beginning as a company is the, the use of technology and jumping on technology and trying new things and new ways of doing things in support of their stories is the important caveat. The use of technology to tell their stories better and to find new ways to make the experience for an audience um, be astounding. And so with um, the original Lion King that was released in 1993? Four. Four. In 1994, you get scenes like the wildebeest chase, you know, the stampede, which is they're th throwing out all the stops with this new digital technology. I mean, they tried it out on a couple of things before, you know, you get the, the ballroom dance scene in Beauty and the Beast, you get the Aladdin Cave of Wonders mm -hmm. um, lava scene, but this was a huge tour de force moment. This was where you see the money on screen and it's riveting. And now to have a film where the technology is the film, I feel like what the, the downfall of the Disney Renaissance was forgetting that the technology supports the story and trying to just play with the technology in a way. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's a big danger in technology for technology's sake. I see what you're getting at and I agree, but I also don't agree. Uh, I don't think that this is Disney's so big now that I think at previous time periods, there was one Disney and you could see the roller coaster of Disney happening. And now that roller coaster is split. Those five cars are no longer a chain. There's like different roller coasters happening. Some people are on different rides. And I think that this like air quotes, live action train of movies is yes, approaching that same like technology becoming a pitfall, like drop off, but other tracks of Disney are still firing on all cylinders. So I don't think that this is a red flag for the company. I think it might be a red flag for this pillar of the company. Hmm. Well said. I think I did. I, I have heard of several people say, and I mean, we're all thinking it that just, are all the stories gone? Um, someone, I saw a trailer before the Lion King movie for Jumanji, and of course I was a giant fan of the original. And the first and the second, you know, the the sequel, um, it was nostalgic, and I mean, it wasn't great, but it was fun. But then we saw the third, now they're making a third one because The Rock needs some more money. And the guy behind me said, that looks terrible, <laughs> like right as soon as it 
as it stops. So it's just, I think that when, um, it just feels cheap that if we are just remaking it, kind of like Chris has said, um, remaking it for um, a remake sake and just to showcase off, showcase all the technology when we should be supporting it with new stories. We should be supporting new stories. I mean, we have all of the grim fairy tales and all the stuff that hasn't been told. So if they are trying to be a company that's all about their their gift of storytelling, then why haven't we seen anything new? It's the community theater model. So when you're a company that's producing lots of different types of stories, some new, uh, some old, the things that people as an audience are more willing to go see are things that either look interesting or they know more about. And so you have more of a struggle, I think, to market and produce a new thing uh, which in an earlier podcast this year, we talked about um, Anna Perna taking over the marketing for Leica studio film, The Missing Link, which is a great movie that had almost no marketing and no marketing that told the story of it well. <laughs> so a great new thing that nobody saw, flop, bam. And then we have The Lion King, which if you look at the marketing of The Lion King through the lens of someone who's never heard of The Lion King before, you don't get much story-wise. It's all like focused on like review like this is what scar looks like now this is what simba looks like now because it's easier it's an easier sell um and the community theater it's the same deal like you can do five new shows that you can't fill all the seats in your theater for um and then you could do a christmas show that's going to sell out for four weeks and make you all the money for the year so you can do the new original stuff that you want to do ah that makes sense i don't know that disney needs to make the money to do that but it's the approach they're taking now, I think there's something else going on, too, is that if you're going to test newer technology out there, so let's let's really go with it. So with if you look at this as um, a technology sequel to The Jungle Book from a few years ago, which same director even. So, you know, in some ways it is kind of a spiritual sequel to The, the Jungle Book from 2016. It's if we're going to take a risk on the technology, why not make the story something that we know already works? And I think the counterpoint to this is John Carter of Mars, which is a story that Disney took a risk on and it flopped, even though it was technologically impressive. Right. The story was not. Yeah, I've there. never heard of that. <laughs> not many people did. They, I mean, they were taking such a risk with that, too, with um, um, Andrew Stanton, who was a Pixar director, director of Finding Nemo and WALL-E and giving him a live action film. Now, if they had given him this, I think we would be in a better place. Possibly. 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 I mean, what's interesting about, about this technology is they're trying to make it so that way somebody who normally directs live action can direct an animated film. So they try to make it as hospitable to a live action director as possible in so much so that they created the sets so that way the director could put on a headset, a VR headset and walk around the set and move cameras around 
and move things around and say, yes, I want this light and actually move things around as if it actually existed. And I think this is key for the future of how Disney's going to tell stories. Uh, have either of you done any of the, the VR stuff that Disney's been doing? When the Jungle Book came out, my boyfriend has a uh, VR um, headset for his Samsung. And so we tried it and I could walk around like King Louis's um, uh, castle, which was in my living room, which was cool. Other than I had a really small apartment at the time, so it was kind of dangerous. Um, so that was really neat, but I haven't really. Um, it's funny because it's like it's such a cool technology, but it's so fruitless at the same time. And it's kind of confusing like when should I be playing with my VR set or when should I just be watching something on my giant yeah. TV so um, I mean I opted not to watch the 3D version of Lion King I just wanted to see it in IMAX mm-hmm. um, which I thought was really enjoyable and then I didn't get car sick but, um, but yeah so I did see the um, King Louis thing it was just a promo for Jungle Book which it was neat but I, I it would be really hard um, I definitely want to read some more about how you have to go within that world and then you direct it like it is a live action. So those See, I don't even know about that. That sounds really interesting to me. I don't like VR necessarily as a rule, um, but I did go do the first Star Wars VR thing they did at uh, Disneyland. I forget what it was called, uh, but it's like a little warehouse and you put on your VR headset and you take the role of like a character. It's almost like a video game level, but there's a story that happens. And you walk around this warehouse. I have no idea what it looks like outside of VR, but it certainly feels like I'm walking through this empire base and they have like heat vents and wind generators. So you feel the things that are in the game too. Um, And a VR version of the Lion King, even with this photorealistic model, like let me go out on a hillside somewhere. Like, yes, let me walk around pride rock. I will get on my hands and knees. I'm lying it. Like I'm, I'm in it. (laughs) I would do that. Can I do that? No, but I think that Disney is building a bunch of these VR places in different big cities right now. And I think as they build more of those, we might start to see more Disney cutting out the middlemen, where the middlemen are movie theaters right now. And you have headlighting Disney things told through small screens strapped to your face at locations owned by Disney so they can make more of the profit percentage on that well if you think that the three if you think of the three pillars of the disney philosophy being technology audience experience and story Hmm. then i think it makes a lot of sense what you're saying (laughs) because audience experience like how do we make that better i mean if you look at what they've done in disneyland with galaxy's edge from you know the star wars world what they've done there they've gone all in on audience experience and i know this is slightly slightly off topic of lion king but it's all about here you are here's your experience this is what you get and there is a story but it's all about experience and new technology the fact that you can fly the Millennium Falcon in Disneyland says that I'm sure that at some point we can walk around Pride Rock. Mm-hmm. And once you, you can know. put Disney Plus in everyone's home at their own leisure, 
for all your new cool stuff and people can afford to buy pretty giant TVs with high resolution and good sound systems, like why are they going to movie theater for that audience experience? Ooh. <laughs> that's just that's just my commentary is ooh, because you're right. It's a it's a giant cabal. <laughs> but um but it makes sense. Like how can Disney become more um I mean, they have the story and they can readapt and readapt and readapt, but um how can they just become even more part of your daily life and be in your hands, like in your handheld devices and, and infiltrate in, in every way? So that, that's a, a really smart um, projection. Thank you. We'll see if it comes true or not. I don't know. <laughs> I make a lot of predictions on this podcast that mostly never come true. <laughs> we're, we're the idea folk, though. We, we see patterns. That's, that's all we see. We see patterns and structure and possibilities. The idea folk. I like that. It's like a new branded Silicon Valley version of like the creative class phrase that I hate. It's like, we're the idea folk. You mean marketing? The idea folk. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, um, so realism. I want to talk about realism. Yes. And I want to, I want to hear you talk about realism. Good. Um, but I do want to put the, uh, the disclaimer here that mostly we have writers get animated as a podcast as something you can listen to, uh, with your kids and your family. And I think we're going to get into a topic that might not necessarily be appropriate for kids, but it is hilarious. So <laughs> I recommend you pause Maybe listen to the next bit before you decide if it's fit for your kid, if you're listening with your kid, and then come back. It's not swearing. It's all the facts of life. And I think you can get where we're going. The circle the, yes, of Yes, the life. circle of the facts of life. And the missing circles of life. The missing circles of life. Anyhow, you've been warned. <laughs> Realism. If this movie's goal is to be realistic and be mistaken for live action by people, let's be honest about what it is. This is still a movie with self-aware singing animals, jokes about Twitter, lips that sometimes move, a lion that survives on bugs and no meat, uh, a, mi a mixture of language between English in Africa with neo-spiritualist phrases of Swahili, so I don't know why the animals know multiple like human languages, um, and world building that really makes you appreciate what Zootopia was doing with more nuance about prey versus predator. And also, they're genitalia-free photorealistic lions. If the goal is realism, this movie's not real. Not just because of the True. lion bonus. The man, the significant man in my life, that was one of the first things he said when we left the theater. <laughs> was that, where were they? <laughs> where were the balls? That's why I came to see The Lion King. <laughs> my, my friend Elise, one of the first things, she's like, Here's my thought. She said, it's like, I'm sure at some meeting they had to talk about, were they going to put balls on the lions? And I'm sure it was a really long conversation. Like that. Yes, you're right. I didn't. Maybe this is because of me being, you know, focused on story and what's changing in the story that I had not considered, you know, things such as lion genitalia. I also didn't actually think about it because I was trying to think of like, what smart thing can I say for the podcast? But I was really, I was really just stuck in the nostalgia and the the gorgeousness of you know the of all the details of the um, 
the quote unquote live action. Um, but yeah, I, it did not come up in my head until someone else told me and I was like, oh. Well, I'll share something about me and how I view a movie and it's going to sound a little weird at first, but it's how I look at like what kind of decisions they're making when they decide to make a movie dramaturgically. And when I see a live action movie with a dog and they use male pronouns with the dog, I check to see if there's a dog penis in that movie. They often have a female dog with male pronouns in kids' movies. And the whole idea behind that, like, I'm not saying that we need more dog penises in movies. I'm not saying that. <laughs> but. Live action Lady and the Tramp coming out in Disney Plus in November. Like, if, especially if a movie's already, like, actually live action with a real dog, like, why are you censoring this? It's not like a kid doesn't see this in real life. I don't know. Yeah, what about if they ever do Robin Hood? I mean, he was a really attractive fox. I mean, just as a as a cartoon. So how are they going to portray that? <laughs> He's going to be standing. It's going to be an uncomfortable well, bulge beneath that tunic. Well, I, I wonder then. So if we take, if we look at Robin Hood, will they be like photorealistic foxes with hats on? Or will they just be like just foxes? Or will they revert them back to humans? I don't, what's, I think it's more entertaining the first way to, to have like lion, like real foxes and chickens running around. I mean, now that the, the Mouse Guard movie got canceled, like if they could fill that vacuum of like the absence of Redwall and Mouse Guard movie stuff and just have like photorealistic animals living their high fantasy life. <laughs> which brings back, which brings us to cats. Oh yes, cats. Which, Can we pause for just a second? Yeah, and talk about cats. Oh, on the podcast. Since this pause. is on the podcast, just for a moment. Cats. I am upset that I was forced to sit through that trailer with sound on before this movie. That was the worst part of the Lion King for me. Did you have you seen Rebecca? Have you seen the the Cats movie trailer? No, I, I saw the Maleficent trailer and the Jumanji trailer, but clearly I missed it um, <clears throat> when I was getting popcorn. So, no, I haven't seen it. Could you, could, while, we're, while we're doing this, could you Google Cats trailer just for, just for kicks? I just want to see your reaction when you see some of the images from this. Um, this has been going on around the Internet, the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical Cats coming to theaters in December with. (laughs) (laughs) Listeners, you've just missed the face of shock and horror. I think what we're discovering in society is that um, as far as like what characters on screen look like, uh, there's not just an uncanny valley where the more realistic they get, like. Tom Hanks and Polar Express, the more horrifying they are. It's more like an uncanny Grand Canyon. There's so many new lows in the middle that you just didn't think that could be there. You have two rims and just all kinds of bumps and valleys and hills in the middle. Slow down, slow down. We don't need to talk, start talking about uncanny slopes and uncanny peaks. And like, they're all uncanny, all of them. Is that Dame Judi yes. Dench as it's a cat? It's Judi Dench's face on a cat body. I think the first teaser they released for cats I remember seeing was like them in like skin tight, like black spandex, but as humans, like just dancing and singing and everyone's like, oh, they got rid of the cat part of cats. That's an interesting choice. And no one thought much about it. And then they came out and said like, oh no, we're using 
digital fur technology. Again, not animated. Digital fur technology. And then the real trailer for Cats came out. It was so much worse than anyone could have imagined. I've never seen Cats. I'm vaguely interested in seeing Cats as a person who hates musicals because I do like T.S. Eliot. I won't see the Cats movie. It's really unappealing in the first <laughs> 20 seconds that I just uh, looked at it. <laughs> I, the Lion King made so much more sense of like, we're redoing it in a, in a different scape where you can see, um, you know, you can feel more involved in that you're really there, but this just doesn't sound right. <laughs> it doesn't, it, it, it takes all that um, excitement of being on, in, you know, in Broadway and then your, your imagination and then Whose ever imagination this is was I'm not a I'm not a, um, <laughs> on board with. And it. while we're still on the kid unfriendly topic of uh, animal genitalia, can we talk about the cat boobs in cats? How there are not six of them, and not six of them, and it's like under fur, and there's like a lot happening. I don't really. If, if the lack it of would've... lion balls didn't disturb many people in The Lion King, you'd think that the presence of cat boobs in cats wouldn't disturb many people, but I, I feel disturbed by them. They're cats. <laughs> They're not women. <laughs> They're trying to have their cake and also pie, and it just, <laughs> it's just terrible. You can't... <laughs> I, I just can't believe... Yeah, I, I, technology can bring upon, they spent so much time wondering if they could, they didn't take the time to think whether they should to um, bring in some Jurassic Park in here. It's true. Um, it applies so much. <laughs> okay. So. Oh, sorry to interrupt. Do we have, do we have cat genitalia out of our system now? I think so. I think we've. Okay, this is the hard stopping point. I'm set. I'm set. <laughs> yeah, I think we've worked it enough. I, I think we're ready to. If you're still listening, move on out of there. Call your family back into the room. Resume the podcast here. You're good. Okay. <laughs> and we're back. So um, the big question is, why, why make these live action films? Like, why do we have The Lion King? And we've talked a little bit about it so far but we have money but i think there's also another thing that happened with beauty and the beast especially and with aladdin especially which is to update the story and have a dramaturgical story and character reason to revisit these classic stories that you know and love yeah, and not having seen Dumbo, I can guess, especially with Dumbo as well. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. Ooh. Um, well, what I what I heard about Dumbo because I haven't seen it yet, and I did want to see it, but that essentially it's Michael Keaton playing a Disney esque character at like as a surrogate for Walt Disney and trying to make wonderful things, but at the same time being a terrible person and destroying things and Dumbo helping cause the downfall of Disney. Okay. That movie got because meta. It's Tim Burton. Yeah. It, I think 
that's what I had read in some articles about like the thematic things in Dumbo. I'm like, well, that's a that's an interesting, you know. I just I just thought you were just going to get rid of the crows and be fine. I didn't, I didn't think you were going to completely shift the story in that way. But yeah, I I am okay with dramaturgical updates and story updates when necessary, especially when things start to feel. Um, quite dated not just a little bit dated um and i think we should be more okay with that as a society i i guess for the reasons why um because that was kind of my question like i wanted to see it just to um because i was such a fan of the lion king and um i thought it was kind of my duty to make sure that they didn't destroy it and that i would you know have a point of reference when twitter exploded um but it it seemed it seemed helpful that if I had a child now or my friends who have kids, like that they can show this to their kids and then they can feel like it's not so dated because it's not, you know, an ancient film, you know, according to people who were born in the 2000s, um, that it doesn't seem so old because it's like, oh, it's it's relevant because it has lots of, you know, shiny technology um, that's used to film it. But that also that they don't have to constantly live in this circle of racist jokes and you know outdated things and that our kids can enjoy the stuff we did and that we as you know a society the circle of life can just move on and we don't have to keep rehashing this you know this stuff that just it, it you know it really hurts people that is it doesn't it's not going to continue our society forward you know i was talking to my mom about seeing lion king and she said oh like, yeah, it's really sad to know, like, how racist everything that we come to enjoy is. And we feel so guilty, we being, you know, a lot of white people. <laughs> like, we, because it, we didn't ask for it, but it was this, the entertainment that was fed to us. And it's a great story. I mean, it's, it's, it's Hamlet. It's, you know, there's a lot of lessons to be learned. But to want to continue that, you've got to put your foot down your CGI foot down and say, Hey, we need to, we need to update these. So would you prefer if you had a choice for Lion King for updating it? Um, would you choose to make a full CGI photorealistic remake and update the story slightly? Or would you a la the original Aladdin and here I'm filling you in because I know talking before the show, you didn't see Aladdin. Um, just update the DVD copy. So with the original Aladdin, the theatrical release, like the very first song, like one of the third lines in the movie was like very anti-Middle Eastern, anti-Arab. It was like, they cut off your ear if they don't like your face there. Ha, they're so violent. Look at that other world. Um, And they rightfully got complaints about this. So on the DVD of Aladdin, they like animated a new line for the song. So like six months after the movie came out, they'd already changed and updated it. Would you re-release the Disney Renaissance in theaters a la Star Wars in the 90s with some story changes versus CGI remake? Well, that is a good question. No one's ever asked me that. Um, actually, that's, that makes sense because there is a certain um, kid friendliness to the animation from 1994. It would be nice if, you know, you take out the the Hawaiian, like when um, excerpt when uh, Timon and Pumbaa are trying to distract um, the hyenas you know, that was obviously, um, they just made fun of the French, which everyone likes to make fun of the French. Um, but if you w- updated um, those certain parts, it would be nice because now as a live action, Scar getting 
killed by the hyenas is terrifying. So one of the friends that I went with, um, she said she's not sure that she's going to have her kids watch it yet because they're six and eight years old. But that's really terrifying because it's like you said earlier, now it's a really dark comedy and it's it's more for geared towards adults. Um, but so actually in a kid friendly uh, view, like, yeah, it would make more sense to just update the the animation because it's still beautiful. I watched it on TV a few weeks ago and, uh, you know, it still really holds true. So, yeah, if we could do that and just say, hey, like, this is what we grew up with, but we're making it so that we show you that we care about the rest of the people mm-hmm. in the world. I'm trying to be more on a kick of like letting artists update their work. I just read Leaves of Grass like last year by Walt Whitman. He spent his entire life making this big book of poetry that he kept revising. And me today, before reading it, would have been like, you can't update your work once it's in the world, artist. You're a jerk. Um, but now with <laughs> having read Leaves of Grass and like appreciating Star Wars and the things that that got added to it, like I, I'd be okay if people just re-released a slightly edited version of something and like we can let the work live on its own. And that's the argument so Disney should make when they try to get the copyright forever for these things. So here's, here's the question that I have then. So in, as I was watching, as I was imagining myself watching Lion King. So this was, what are my expectations? That's what I was trying to ask myself. What am I expecting to get out of this? And looking at why Disney does these live action things, you know, what dramaturgical things could they update? So I made a little list, said, okay, they're probably gonna give more backstory to Scar to make this seem um, necessary. They'll, They'll give Scar an update. They'll probably update Nala to make her more powerful and give her an actual story. Mm -hmm. And I was like, they might pull back a little bit on Timon and Pumbaa just a little bit um, and give them less focus so they can focus on what's going on with Simba. Um, And maybe they'll keep one or two of the same scenes. That's that's what I was expecting going in. Um, With what we got, I wonder if we, there would have been less uproar, yeah. so to speak. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, if folks, had, if they had re-released it with new voice actors, put Beyonce in the original, mm. Mm. put Donald Glover in the original. Like, would that have, if you updated in that way, because one of the only things that's wrong, quote, with Lion King in that sense was the casting. You know, JTT and uh, Matthew Broderick a little bit. That's interesting. You start. I don't know if that's a line for me or not. I don't know if it's a line. I'm just saying that one of the things that I was wondering about is when they started announcing the cast, that's what made me really excited. Because when you're looking at the original, you start to see, oh, great, they have... Minority actors, they have James Earl Jones, great, because he has the best voice in the world. And then you have all the other minority actors as these outsiders, as, Mm -hmm. you know, as the hyenas. Mm -hmm. And everyone else is, you know, is not African-American or is not black. And you're just wondering where. So you get Whoopi Goldberg and Cheech Marin, but they're hyenas. They're the bad guys. Mm -hmm over here so i 
there, there was a lot of question on would they fix any of that? And I appreciated who they cast and how they cast the film, which was kind of putting things in line with the original, but putting putting um, African-American actors in the leads. I do. I love the cast a lot. I think this is great casting for the Lion King. Um, I don't know how I feel about like just replacing the original voices in the first 1994 movie. Um, either direction. I, I just don't know how I feel. But one of my notes that I wrote down was Donald Glover's greatest Simba. But was he too animated for a photorealistic lion? <laughs> it's like the casting Say is... a little bit about that. The casting is great for a traditionally animated Lion King movie. But mm. then you have a Lion King movie where there's not like this emotional vibrancy or sense of dramatic tension at any point. And you have lion lips that kind of sort of move, but no facial expressions. So it, it felt like Donald Glover, who was great to me and I adore Donald Glover, um, or as I say in 30 Rock, Donald Glover. Um, he felt too animated compared to what the lion face was doing. Actually, I'm glad you pointed that out. Cause I, um, I wasn't a super big fan of his of his voice and I know, you know, he's a great artist and everything. So and I was kind of wondering why that was my reaction. And I think you're right. I think his um his voice what didn't match what he as the actor was probably doing on his face, so the lion's face didn't match. So that actually makes a lot more sense because I know I'm sure, you know, his performance was excellent, but there was something that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And the craziest thing is animals are super expressive. <laughs> Yes. Why wasn't that in the movie? <laughs> I don't know if anyone's ever had a pet, but if you haven't had a pet, you probably make a movie like The Lion King 2019. And if you have had a pet, you'd have facial expressions on them. <laughs> it was it was interesting. I rewatched um, today. They had it on YouTube as like a, somebody had a promo for Lion King, and they had the scene where Timon and Pumbaa first save Simba from the buzzards and they chase them off. And, and I was watching it going, yeah, that was weird. That was weird to hear like these really animated voices coming from super realistic, a super realistic meerkat. Like I just wanted hands on hips. I wanted, you know, gesture. I wanted to see a more human stuff. You know, it just, I think the comedy fell flat because yeah. of the the disconnect there. You're right. The gesture doesn't match because there were a lot of times I made note how in the middle of a sentence, one of the characters would do something that was very true to form for that animal. Like at one point, photorealistic Timon, like bent over backwards to like scratch his ear or something like while he's talking, I'm like this is not how a conversation would work, but it is how an animal would stand there with other animals and then do something. I was really distracted on at least four different occasions with Timon scratching. Yes. <laughs> he scratched with his left hind leg, you know, his left leg. He scratched a lot of different places at a lot of times where I was like, is this just a gesture that they're trying to like, this is, is this a character thing that they're deciding that he it's probably what a meerkat when does. he's nervous? A meerkat looks like that and does that in real life. Um, 
that's great. You studied animals. You know who also studied animals? The people animated Lion King 1994. <laughs> and they didn't add inappropriate gestures in it inappropriate times. I think, I can't remember which scene it was, but there was one scene, maybe it was Simba after Mufasa's death. Sorry, spoilers. Uh, Mufasa's death walking in the desert by himself and there was no voice, you know, there was nothing. And I was, and I was just taken aback with the beauty of that. You know, his little paws sinking into the sand and he's having trouble. And I was like, why didn't, why wasn't the movie just this? Why wasn't the movie, you know, not a Disney feature, but a Disney nature feature where they just animated things that look like real animals, but told the story of the Lion King with narration like you would do at a nature documentary. Like a Disney nature mockumentary? Right. But it's the Lion King and you get like James Earl Jones or Donald Glover to narrate, you know, like, and this is Simba, Simba, blah, blah, blah. Look at him. He just got told by his uncle that his, it's his fault. He walks away. I mean, better narration writing, but I mean, you know, you, you, where you're putting emotion onto it as opposed to trying to use emotion through something that's not the right vessel. Yeah. I think that probably would have worked for um, people who are dramaturgically sound, like both of you. Um, but I remember watching The Incredible Journey um, and it was a narration over top of real animals who were just um, being you know, out in the wild and they were trying to get home. And then I remember feeling kind of depressed because it was just this old guy like narrator and I wanted the animals to talk like on Homeward Bound, <laughs> but I didn't, I didn't have that cool VHS. I just had this other one. Um, however, you know, I watched it a million times, so I still enjoyed, enjoyed the incredible journey. But um, I think that we're making people have a sense of imagination when it's t- too much to ask because they, hmm. they want to see the animals talk and they want to just, um, you know, they don't have to be a part of the story. They can just kind of wa- watch absentmindedly. I mean, I think it'd be great if we trained audiences to want to be, you know, have more creative license in their own head, but that might be a down the road scenario. That's fair. I don't think this movie knew what it wanted to be i think at different times they thought they knew what it wanted it to be because it it is a disney nature like planet earth wannabe kind of thing except narrated by john oliver instead of some other british guy um uh, yeah it's it's trying to do disney nature stuff and be a certain kind of realism and like this animal behavior realism thing but for a story and cast of characters that are ultimately not realistic to what animals do and behave like. Mm-hmm. I, and it's really obvious in moments. So if you take a look at the elephant graveyard scene, hmm. in the um, in the original, which I rewatched before recording, um, it's kind of comical. It's a little creepy. There's a slight feeling of danger. Like, oh no, three hyenas are here. Um, In that scene in Lion King 2019, it's it's scary. It is a frightening moment and it feels like a horror film and those kids are gonna get eaten 
and you feel like there's real, real, because it looks real danger going on. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is part of the reason why I wanted to see it without my son before I took him to see it, because I think that would have been way, way overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There were that (laughs) scene. But then you get a moment, like, be prepared, where the speech is amazing. And I'm like, oh, great. They're not going to do a song. He's just going to give his speech, and it's going to be amazing, and that's fine. And then suddenly it started singing, and it felt wrong. Like, I liked the reinvention until it tried to be the original again. But without singing... It was like spoken word. Did you have? Yeah. Yeah, it, it needed to be more, um, have more of a ballad type feel because it's a really low, deep, beautiful song and it never reached that. I thought the the speech also was good and it was probably super important that they took out the Nazi um, <laughs> goose-stepping uh, hyenas um, but because uh, it was scary enough in, um, in its own right. But yeah, it, the song did kind of fall flat because the original is just so excellent. Um yeah, maybe he could have done a yeah, slam poetry session instead. But counterpoint, isn't it important for children to see how a charismatic outsider can talk Nazis into serving him? <laughs> In 2019? I know, there was a lot, it was, the circle of life theme was kind of like, oh, this is like 20 years later and it's still super yeah. relevant, or 25 years later and it's still like, polit- you know, political this, political that, you know, so... Well, in some sense, Simba reconvinced two folks from, you know, way out in the rural area, convinced them that their lives were connected to other people's. You know, they just saw themselves as, you know, a straight line, not having, not being connected to anything. You know, we don't know what's going on in Pride Rock, you know, there's that all that stuff going on. We live our lives out here in one way and, you know, and... It did make that a little bit more meaningful, I think, than the original um, because it was like the straight line of meaningless, um, meaninglessness. Um, So I thought, yeah, the added sentences or two around that concept did make it seem a little bit more like, hey, we have to take care of each other. We, We don't have to worry so much, but we do need to worry when it matters. I did appreciate that. That is one big update that I liked, which is let's have a counterpoint theme to the circle of life. Mm -hmm. Let's have that be strong and have Simba buy into that and, you know, cut himself off and then, you know, have to return back to the circle and see how he fits back into there. I also agree with that. I think that for me, that's the strongest case for this movie to exist was that counterpoint theme of selfishness rather than cir- circularity, circularness, sphericalness. Yeah, we're not helping. We don't know. Okay. Probably one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a recovering journalist, so um, I'm, I'm off duty right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. Um, yeah, I gotta say, like preparing for this talk, I did try to find a list of differences between the two movies, and uh, the internet was quite sparse on this. They're very similar, uh, so I don't know what else can be said about Lion King twenty nineteen 
that can't be said about Lion King 1994, story-wise. I think, story-wise, there's not a lot. I think um, they added they added one word to a response from Scar that cha- that gave it a backstory. A single word. Um, especially. Well, no, not that. I don't know why he's Alan Rickman in my, my head, but. But go ahead, Rebecca. You wanted to make a comment about that. And then I'll say the other one. Oh, no, I was just commenting that, like, I heard the one word and I knew, oh, this is going to be its own thing, which never took off. And I think it's an insult to Sarabi. Um, It wasn't fleshed out. And then also with Nala, she um, she got a little bit more like maybe one line more of um, of a story. But she's still like, oh, the best friend, you know, from long ago. And that's about it. Yeah, I did enjoy the scene of her sneaking out, though. That was a really, that was a really great scene. But um, oh yes, you're right. That was what made her seem a little bit more um, powerful and important. So yeah, I will take that back. She, she did get at least that scene. The then so the scar thing that I'm thinking of. Uh, Mufasa comes over to Scar's place, you know, to be like, "Hey, why weren't you there?" at the presentation of Simba and they start they start fighting again and Mufasa says is is that a challenge and Scar says I would never challenge you again in the original and then in this one he says again right yeah I would never challenge you again which makes it seem like oh that's where you got your scar and that's where things fell apart and it's like okay now we understand what's underneath this and all they added was a single word to do that and i was like well there could there there could be more though there that could have gone much further yeah um i I don't know but watching so i watched the uh the new one and then i watched the original later the one thing about the original after watching 2019 one um, the original clips by. There is no wasted time. They don't linger on anything. It's like circle of life, boom, it's this, 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 Hakuna, blah, 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 donk. Like it, it is, there is no wasted time. They do not spend any extra time on, isn't this pretty? Mm-hmm. Like there's none of that, which I think even then I'm like, okay, well, yeah, add a little bit of beauty in there you know, they could have, but traditional animation in 1994, they were still betting the studio every single time they made one because of the expense and the time and everything that it took. They couldn't do a quick low res rendering of their work to see what it looked like. You know, that didn't exist. It was, Let's animate it. Let's here. You guys spend a week on two minutes, and that looks okay, I guess. And let's not throw it out because that took a week, at you know, and fifty people doing it. So you can't really linger on unnecessary things just for beauty's sake. Everything had to serve the story, and there was nothing extra in there. Yeah, it does move. It moves very fast. I remember being shocked by that rewatching Lion King 1994 as an adult because um, it feels like so long when you saw it as a kid. 
or sorry, when Rebecca and I saw it as a kid. Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I was going into sophomore year of high school. So, um, so yeah, it, like as a child, you're like, this is my whole world now. I live in the Lion King for the next month until the next cool thing comes along. And then you watch it in like college. You're like, oh, this is, wow, this just keeps going. I made up a lot of stuff in here. I found that with uh, Lord of the Rings. I mean, I know it's still like a three hour movie, but I realized that rewatching it, having like taken a few years, like just not seeing it every other day, um, it just, it did clip by. It just was kind of like, oh, because you were in this world and it becomes so much more than what it really is. And having rewatched Lion King a few, uh, months ago and it was it was kind of sad because I'm like it's it's only like an hour and 40 minutes or something and it, so that, that's just interesting too to as a nostal- as nostalgic watchers to just realize like oh this story is only so long and but it seems so much bigger were there any other changes that you noticed or things that delighted you or surprised you that you were like yeah I'm glad they glad they changed that For me, anytime they tried to subvert an expectation, because like while this was very close to the original, they had the most fun when they subverted your expectations about what was going to happen. Which starts from the very first shot of like, Savannah. And it's quiet. Oh, there's the sun. Monsultania. <laughs> it doesn't start right away. Like it, it makes you wait for it. You know it's gonna happen. It's gonna come. Why are they waiting? Oh, the sun's not up. Right. There's the Monsultania. Got it. Whatever that means. (laughs) And anytime they did something like that, um, letting Pumbaa finish his lyric in Akuna Matana of every time that I farted was a good, like, every time that I farted, aren't you going to stop me? Like, (laughs) no, you disgust me. (laughs) We know what you're expecting, (laughs) audience, but we're not going to give it to you. Yeah, I think they allowed they allowed Timon and Pumbaa to do that because they were the comic relief. Watching the original, like everybody's comic relief. Everything is silly. Like Scar is ridiculous um, in there. The hyenas are ridiculous. Even Mufasa has some silliness and like everything is just really silly. And when it's photorealistic, the only thing that can be silly are the words and the only people who could say silly words in a silly way are Timon and Pumbaa. So that was, that was a weird thing. Having been on like a funny, large animal YouTube video kick lately, I disagree. It's not just words that can be funny. There's a Russian Puma that I'm a big fan of and just saying (laughs) they could learn a thing or two. Well, maybe that's, maybe that's their um, expectations of the Disney yeah. As um, as a woman, even though I'm not a, a, a female lioness, I was excited that they called them lions um, for the instead of lionesses. I'm sure they might have said lioness, but when um, Nala is like telling the other lions of the pride to like start roaring and stuff, um, they yeah they just called them lions, which I thought was kind of neat. Um, plus, I'm really excited for. For kids my age who can grow up to have Beyonce as Nala. I mean, that's pretty excellent. And um, all of her songs that are um, 
moved throughout. Um, I thought it was cool that Nala got to fight Shenzi. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if that was actually in the original or not, but um, there was like that short uh, short moment when you realize that she she got to have like some of you know her aggression and her pain like she got to take it out on one of the bad hyenas. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of there, but Shenzi is never really the broken leader mm-hmm. that she is. So they even helped Shenzi become like, she's the spokesperson for the hyenas. She's the leader. She's Something's gone on between her and Mufasa, mm-hmm. and she's this matron figure um, that she wasn't. In the original, she was just like a leader of a trio. And this one feels like a giant horde of dogs. And two hyena thoughts. Um, I did like that they came, not just like elevated Shenzi's character to being like this matriarch, but they also uh, used, they hit the female pronouns pretty hard a couple times. Because as a kid, I definitely did not realize that Shenzi was a woman at first. (laughs) I don't know if they call her a she in the original Lion King at all. It's just, that's Shenzi. You know, Shenzi. Shenzi wants mm-hmm. this. Shenzi's doing that. It's Shenzi. Um, so I'm like, oh, look, a woman. It's another woman in the Lion King. Great. Awesome. Now I know for sure. Um, on Counterpoint, I was disappointed that it was very... It broke down very, hyenas are bad, lions are good. And maybe that's just my expectations coming from Lion King too. I really want like some bad lions, some good hyenas. Yeah, I was actually thinking that, too, because um, coyotes get such a really bad rap, especially in Ohio. Um, They think that they're scavengers and they're terrible. And my parents are of the, um, you know, the other sort who think like, no, they're just animals and they've been um, improperly hunted and just, you know, they have a giant stigma. So I actually thought that, too, like that there wasn't any fairness given to them as creatures. And they're still part of the circle of Mm -hmm. life. So, yeah, there wasn't any, um, it should have been more about, like, their disagreements with the lions versus just, like, um, they're ruthless and they're going to eat you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but my other hyena thought was, especially working with the Department of Developmental Disabilities, it was great that they removed Ed, the <laughs> character, and he wasn't just, you know, like, blabbering and, like, saying, you know, and not comprehending anything, that they gave the two uh, male hyenas that they both were just part of the part of the pack and that he wasn't like you know they weren't making fun of him having a disability or laughing at him because he didn't understand because that was just most of the comedy for the that original hmm. trio and most of the lyrics of be prepared had to do with how dumb hyenas were mm-hmm. hmm. oh yes yep yep so they had to remove all that language which was good i also did appreciate that it was somebody who was just socially clueless in, in a different way. It's like, really, of everywhere in the cave, like right here, like personal space, man. Personal right. space. But um, I think the other thing, it started to get in there. And I think maybe that's the thing is they didn't want to go too far away from the material, but it, it so wanted to. And I think it could have added a lot more in terms of the fight of your overhunting. Your scavengers are never full. You that's we're keeping we keep the hyenas in control because we we're trying to control enough for everybody. So like if that was the fight, you know, it's not that they're bad or evil, it's that, you know, we're just keeping the hunt in control and not that they're trespassing on 
the good land, you know. I think there are just yeah. a lot of opportunities there, story-wise. But of course, that would complicate and add. And it's just—it's really hard to do the Lion King in a post-Zootopia world. I stand by that because Zootopia handles the same topic with so much nuance, and Lion King just pales in comparison. But you have to change it a lot to make it meet that same standard. I would have been here for two films. I think there should have been um, The Lion King, which is, or no, it should have been a trilogy. Here's how it works out. So you take Mufasa and Scar and the hyenas and tell that story. And then you tell the story of um, kind of like a, a middle and then the final one is Simba comes back. So you talk about Nala and everybody dealing with Pride Rock and tell that story and the separation that of Simba living out and living his Hakuna Matata world. And then the third movie is Simba comes back. And then you have enough time to tell everybody's story. Or make it a miniseries on Disney+. Plus. How do you sell a reboot of one movie that becomes a trilogy, though? If you know how the third movie's going to end. <laughs> or they're making five um, movies out of Fantastic Beasts. But you don't know how it's going to end, mostly. That's true. You kind of know some things. But. Well, then you could go further into it. You know, turn it in. Make the trilogy like Simba's Pride, essentially. Lion King 2? Yeah. yeah. Remake Lion King 2 as a third movie in the trilogy. I was really hoping. Do we know Sorry, how- go ahead. Oh, sorry. Do we know how long it takes um, Simba to um, come back? Like, I mean, obviously he grows up, but like, how long does it take for a lion to mature? Like, how long would that be between your trilogy, between each Using Google now. Lion King. Not Lion King. Lion. Lion. Maturation. (laughs) Age. Adult lions are between three and eight years old. So I'd guess probably like a year or two. Oh, because you you assume it's like five. I mean, it'd be like five people years, but I assume it's like one to two lion years. Okay. It's not like, like a real year, but like for a lion. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it feels like there would have been more than... I guess they don't really have different seasons, but <laughs> there's the rainy season, so... <laughs> yeah, I feel like he was with them for a long time, but... Hmm. Yeah. It takes a while to travel. I don't, I don't know how the geography... I wish I knew more about the geography of Africa, and I want to know, like, how far he actually traveled from savannah to desert to jungle. Mm-hmm. Because it seems pretty far looking at macro geography of Africa. Well, I remember watching it with with my wife, you know, 1994 last night. And we see after he decides to go back on his own. So Nala's not even involved in that conversation. And he takes off running and it's slow motion and there's sand. And she's like, why is there sand? Like, what? What? Because all you see in the original is he gets away from the hyenas and then he's lying dead, 
pretty much on the on the ground. Mm-hmm. You know, in the Lion King 2019, you see how far he's walking and you feel like, oh my gosh, he's just been out for days just trying to go and you just see this effort and then he collapses as opposed to, and now he's dead. Now he's dead somewhere. We don't know how far he is from home, but he's dead somewhere in the wilderness. I will say another thing that I thought was interesting change was uh, Rafiki. Like one of my favorite lines is the past can hurt after he <laughs> um, hits Simba with the with the stick. And the stick didn't really make a um, debut until like he, he says, oh, my old friend. Which didn't um, make any sense, yeah. but go on. Yeah. So, so, yeah, it was only known to us because we'd already seen the uh, the original. Um, I think he, uh, the Rafiki was toned down. It wasn't as silly, which was important because he's supposed to be a wise creature so I, I did like the new Rafiki but I thought that he needed to have a longer conversation with Simba because even if he didn't smack him with a stick like he needed to talk more about how the past does hurt and it's recognizable but it is in the past and that was the only like line that I was super bummed about that got mm. cut yeah but it, it probably wouldn't look right to have a, a realistic mandrel hitting a realistic lion over the head with a realistic right, stick. Right. I mean, as we no, know, you- monkeys in real life don't use tools at all for anything. <laughs> I just mean as a slapstick moment. Okay. Not that it couldn't happen or wouldn't happen. It's still a mandrel just- line hanging out. It's silly no matter what. It's not real. <laughs> I don't understand like this this I see the line but it's like this weird line that I'll never understand like it, it's out there in the world and I don't get it it's a line but I don't understand it makes sense to some people it's like, Fine. it's like inception it makes sense to some people I don't get it I don't understand why it's appealing it's there I know it exists some people get it so do we have anything else we would like to say about Lion King 2019? Do, what, what do we think about people going to see this? I'm delighted that a new generation gets to experience Lion King and see some cool technology. And bottom line, no matter what I've said about this movie, it's still the Lion King. So it's not as good as the 1994 one, in my opinion, but that's still a pretty high bar. So it's still Lion King. Rebecca? I will have to agree. Um, I think it was just really fun to be able to be nostalgic, but then have a reason to because it was um, just, it was just beautiful to be in that world um, and to relearn the lessons that the Lion King has. Um, Just, you know, you don't have to worry so much, but you have to remember your four parents, you know, that they're out there. It just has a really lot of touching things that it's nice to be reminded of as an adult, because you don't always remember it as a kid. So just from a nostalgia point, it was really fun. And I'd be really happy for kids to experience it without as much uh, racist and needless uh, conversation as probably in the, in the original. And for me, I just, to paraphrase Pumbaa, unnecessary yet satisfying. <laughs> I, I think for me, it's, 
I don't think it quite rises to the level of saying, yes, I exist and this is why I exist and make it a strong enough statement for this is why I'm here. I think Aladdin does on mm. so many levels. Um, and I enjoy that on a lot of different levels. But I think this one doesn't quite say why it why it exists. But that doesn't mean it's an unsatisfying experience. Because I still left really happy. And at the final moment where it showed the title again and, you know, has a big thunk at the very end and says Lion King, many people in the theater that I was in started clapping and cheering. Hmm. Like they... Same for my theater. Like It's a satisfying experience, even though I don't think it quite rises to the level of I have a reason to live here in 2019. You know, I, but it's, but it's, it's not bad and it's, it's satisfying in its own way. So with that in mind, Chris, what was your favorite thing in the Lion King 2019? This was really hard because after, after I left the film, uh, with my friend, uh, all we were doing was finding any reason to um, start shouting like John Oliver. <laughs> like, we're like, he's like, hey, do you want to go get graders? Yes, I do. I want graders. I want to go now. <laughs> That's what I want. Let's go right now. We just, any, any reason to do a bad John Oliver impression <laughs> we were doing. Like, no, it's not. No, Simba, you will not do that. No, you will not go in the savannah. You will not go with Nala. You're going to marry her. Like, that's that's all we did was John Oliver impressions. So it was very hard. But I think for me, because it surprised me um, and delighted me, was um, Timon singing Be Our Guest. (laughs) Yeah. And, And I think it's for the same reason that... Um, the lion sleeps tonight tricked me because you're expecting what's going to happen. Um, so in the lion sleeps tonight, you know, Nala's going to attack them in this one, you know, the hyenas are going to attack them, but you don't know, but you're expecting it. But then the moment lingers a bit too long and then you forget what's going to happen because you get wrapped up in the moment. Like there are seven animals singing along in this lion sleeps tonight and you're like jamming along with it. And Nala just charges in and I, I shouted, I, I freaked out <laughs> like, ah, like I jumped and I was, I knew what was happening, but in this be our guest, it, it, the same thing happened. I was like, Oh my gosh, there is he doing, he is doing that. Okay. They are doing be our guest. And then, it's like, how far are they going? And then it was like, ah! And it's like, okay, that was satisfying to me. I respect that because you also know that they're not going to do the hula, but at the same time, the hula is one of the most memorable parts of The Lion King 1994. So I think they satisfyingly created their own moment in the same spirit in a wholly new way. Well, what do you do with the Nathan Lane ad lib? You can't redo a Nathan Lane ad lib. What am I going to do? Dress and drag and do the hula? <laughs> we're not gonna we're not gonna use that nathan no we are we're gonna animate that like and then even then in his nathan lane way he's like you're gonna what you're gonna that's in the movie now okay anyway what, what about for you um mackenzie 
Um, I would have to say John Oliver being in this movie. I thought he was excellent as Zazu. Um, I did not have as much fun as you did after the movie, apparently. Um, <laughs> no, you did not. You didn't. You could have, but you did not have as much fun. I respect John Oliver from a distance without doing a bad impression of him. Um, <laughs> nothing deeper than that. It's like John Oliver as Zazu. Uh, Rebecca, how about you? Yeah, there's a line, and I can't remember, so I'll just have to go see it again. But it's um, I really appreciate it. For, from being upset that it wasn't going to be Nathan Lane for Timon, I really enjoyed Billy Eichner, um, if that's how you say his last name. Um, I just his, his, new, his voice nuances, I got, it grew on me, and they were just so funny. And after being really sad that, like, Mufasa dies and, you know, we all have to grow up and life is hard, it was just really nice to laugh. Um, really hard because I felt like the audience was laughing extra hard because it was there were different jokes and there were more jokes and um, we got to just like be at peace for a moment and not have to think about all the hard stuff. So um, I would say that um, my my shout out would be uh, Timon's uh, voice. It w- was it the Brad line in Hakuna Matata? Because that one got me. <laughs> Yes, I knew you'd know it. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was Brad. That was I knew it was something so simple, and oh, I, that just killed me. <laughs> I think we can. Brad line. Well, it, it was a throwaway joke. It's a big. It's in Hakuna Matata. They're singing, and he's like, "Oh, the shame! Oh, you were ashamed. Thought of changing my name to what, Brad?" <laughs> <laughs> it was just this really. I was like, "What?" <laughs> Yeah, to what, Brad? It was just like his attitude, like, what were you going to do? What are you going to change it to? Oh, Billy. (laughs) Well, before we go today, and before we get to homework time, also want to call out, um, if you are listening to our podcast regularly, and you want to preview into the future, little Pandora's box, peek into the future. Coming out of San Diego Comic-Con this year is a lot of animation news. So if you want to see basically the next year of writers get animated, you could take a peek at that. Uh, Young Justice <laughs> season four, uh, the Marvel What If series with the MCU actors, DuckTales season three, a lot of DuckTales, sorry. We'll be back, Frank and Gones, again and again. Um, Dragon Prince season three and some of the lore behind that. A Harvey Girls Forever sneak peek, the Gremlins TV show, the Steven Universe movies coming out in like a month. After No News, a date for the Rocco's Modern Life movie, Infinity Train from Cartoon Network, which is already on the Cartoon Network app, surprise, uh, and a Star Trek animated TV show, because that's the sentence we're saying in 2019. It's back, Star Trek and animation together again at last. I know. Well, at least we don't have to wonder what we're going to be doing next season. I know, it's it's all there. It's It's there. It's here. Sorry. It podcasts itself. It podcasts itself. Uh, With that out of the way, should we talk homework time? Let's. For your homework, check out the new series Amphibia from Disney. You can watch season one, episode one. I can't remember what it's called. Oh, Anne or Beast slash Best Fronds. That's those. That's the title. I didn't give myself enough time to remember what it is. So check that out. We'll be talking about that. Fantasy worlds, lots of other things. Watch any epic fantasy TV series that you enjoy before you watch, before you listen, because 
We're not live. But we're not we live be. action. We're not. Uh, we're not even alive. Uh, <laughs> as always, thank you to our engineer Nigel Cotino and to Jacob Reed for our theme music, and thank you Rebecca Myers for coming in and being on hey. our show once again. My pleasure, Hakuna Matata. <laughs> and you can find us on the web on the Twitter sphere at WG Animated on Facebook.com slash WG Animated and find our show notes and previous episodes catch up at writersgetanimated.podbean.com. You know, Chris, they say the great podcasters of the past look down on us from the cloud. That's just ridiculous. Who says that? Nobody says that. I do the worst impressions of everybody. It's just great. <laughs> yes, you do. Yes, you do. They're terrible impressions. Never do them again. They're the worst. He's in an impression loop, everybody. Good night, everyone. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.